For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. We all have been in the situation where we are sweating it out, hoping Santa's elves get our packages here on time. Worry no more. Our friends at Seattle Shirt Company have all of us in mind. They have an excellent selection of NFL and NBA jerseys for everyone on your list. And they are doing their part in keeping their staff employed during these tough times. Please do yours in supporting local businesses. Not only is shipping free on everything, but this week only, for all of our customers, we have an amazing promotion, 50% off all Seahawks merchandise. Seattle Shirt Company, have it all, hats, jerseys, hoodies, and more. All the stars from yesterday to today are included. From LeBron James, back to Jim Brown, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Walter Payton, Mike Ditka, Deion Sanders, Jerry Rice, and many more. Have you seen the latest Seattle Kraken NHL gear? Just head to seattleshirt.com and enter the code BELIEVE, that's capital B-L-E-A-V, at checkout for 50% off all Seahawks merchandise. Shipping is always free. Seattle Shirt Company, helping you get ready for the holidays. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. It was neat to see you play, and it's fun to talk to you all these years later because you played with a lot of joy and you played with passion. And I've seen Dan Dickow hit some big shots in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> Every morning when I'm working out, I'm listening to your podcast. Keep up the great work. Well, you know, I got to salute you, man. Like, I've been watching you since I was in high school, trying to mimic all your moves. I think there were a lot of kids who looked at Dan Dickow and said, Dan Dickow can play at this level, I can play at this level. Welcome to another episode of the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow, and SB Live Sports on the Believe Podcast Network. Today's is a little bit of a unique episode. It is a mailbag episode on many of our social media platforms for SB Live. We've been asking you, the listener or followers of SB Live Sports, to send us a question uh, for myself. We're going to do this mailbag episode. We've got a few end of the year, first of 2021 episodes where we'll be a kind of a compilation of some of the best question answers that we've had uh, that fall into a number of different topics. But as mentioned, today's the mailbag episode. The moderator, the producer, Andy Bueller, one of our fellow journalists at SB Live, will be asking the questions. And I'll see what kind of hard-hitting answers that I can provide. So Andy, if you want to jump right to it, we can get going. 
Yeah, Dan, it's uh, n- nice to uh, step from producer uh, onto the mic and I've loved what you've done uh, with this podcast three times a week, uh, starting uh, at the outset of this pandemic. And uh, now, now we're at Christmas. We're, we're still going. It's hard to believe. It's been, uh, it's been a fun and challenging uh, venture with the podcast. We've had tremendous guests. I'm looking forward to some of the guests that we will have in the upcoming year. Uh, listeners that are out there, if you've got ideas for guests or ideas for stories, people to, to, to reach out to, please let us know. Um, would love to try to uh, tailor some episodes to what you, the listener, wants to hear. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I, I love the most, uh, you know, listening to your podcast, Dan, is that, um, you know, your experience in the game of basketball uh, spans so many different levels uh, from the high school days at Prairie uh, in the Vancouver area uh, to college at UW and Gonzaga. And then uh, obviously in the NBA and then now your your post career in, in broadcast uh, broadcasting. And so it's your guests reflect uh, all of those different levels, and so um, I was interested to see some of the uh, some of the questions that were submitted by readers. And there's a little bit of a variety here, so uh, if you don't mind, you want to jump into it? Yeah, let's get going. Ask away, and uh, we'll see how creative some of these answers or stories will be. All right. Well, first off, I should say we should wish everyone a Merry Christmas. This episode uh, drops on Christmas. I know as we record it, it. Uh, uh, we're gearing up for the holiday here, and so uh, we'll have some Christmas-themed questions uh, up and down uh, this mailbag episode. But to start off, I'm, I'm going to start you off with a softball. <laughs> so this question comes from at Pat Kuntz. Uh, thank you, Pat, for submitting this. It is, what is your favorite sandwich? Uh, do you prefer peanut butter and jelly or peanut butter and honey? Uh, when I have a sandwich of one of those two, it would always be peanut butter and jelly. I, I, I'm not celiac, but I, I don't eat a lot of bread anymore. I, I try to stay away from the gluten. Um, but when, uh, when the mood strikes just right, because I've got kids in the house, uh, there's nothing that can beat a good peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I would, I could imagine you probably ate a few of those in your playing days when you needed some fuel. Absolutely. Yeah, Uncrustables were, were, were tremendous when you needed a quick pick-me-up. What was your late-night uh, eating schedule after games? You guys would play, especially in the NBA, I mean, you played games uh, on such a constant rotation. You're probably getting done with, with media and, and, and everything. Uh, you're getting out of the arena late, and I would imagine you're probably eating. Yeah, and that is that has definitely been something that the NBA has really in the organizations have improved upon since I was done playing. Uh, the better organizations that I was involved with uh, during my playing career, namely the the Dallas Mavericks, uh, they would have a post game spread ready to go if you wanted it. You didn't have to, but if 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 you needed it, if you played big minutes, uh, it was right there for you. Others, you know, you were kind of on your own. Um, you know, but for me, when I was playing big minutes, um, in particular, uh, my time with New Orleans, it would always be a challenge to, to find a good, healthy meal after a game. So many times you would kind of just be, be stuck kind of, you know, getting something quickly, um, you know, but at the same time, when you're burning those that many calories uh, by playing big minutes, you, you got to get something. Uh, it's better to eat 
something that's bad as opposed to nothing to prepare yourself for the next day's workouts and games. How, how did that differ from college? I mean, you were playing, you know, big minutes in college. Uh, and this is obviously Gonzaga, you know, even, even then wasn't what it is uh, now. I, I've covered the team as a media member and those spreads, uh, you know, pre-game are, are pretty impressive now. Was, was there a similar setup back when you were in school? Not at all. When I was at uh, Gonzaga and when I was at University of Washington, uh, post-game, there would be pizzas in the locker room for the players. And if you were an upperclassman, you would probably take a whole entire pizza with you back to uh, your dorm or your apartment. If you were a young guy, you were maybe get <laughs> stuck with a slice or two of pizza. Um, but I was lucky. Many times uh, I had uh, family or friends that were in town and after a game, you know, we'd go find a restaurant in Spokane that was open late night after after a Gonzaga game. Pizza, that's very, that's very college, very fitting. Yes. <laughs> Let's move on to our second question. This one was submitted by Liam Sanko. I hope I'm saying your last name right, Liam. Thank you for uh, submitting this question. Who is your, the favorite player you ever played with in the NBA? Um, you know, that's a really good question. Uh, you know, I, I think you can look at it in a couple different ways. Uh, you know, great teammates, someone you like spending time around, um, you know, guys that, that come to mind in those regards, Brian Scalabrini with the Celtics. He was a, a state of Washington guy, uh, that, that we obviously had similar backgrounds. Um, you know, some similar people in our high school careers and paths, and he's got such a great outgoing personality. It was fun to get to know him a little bit more. Um, enjoyed being around um, some other guys. Um, you know, uh, when you look at playing player-wise, a couple guys that, that I really enjoy being teammates with. One name that won't jump out at you, but was a tremendous teammate. He, he was a mentor to a certain extent. Uh, and we had a, a, a nice connection on the court was PJ Brown when I was in New Orleans. I thought he was a veteran that, that really kind of tried to go out of his way and kind of, you know, support and, and like I said, mentor younger players like myself. So he is a guy that would stand out. Dirk Nowitzki stood out because of how good a player he was and just the kind of person he was as well. Uh, he's, he was MVP caliber type player. But he included everybody. Uh, he was a tremendous teammate. Um, you know, a couple other guys that that would come to mind. My uh, also in my time in 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 Boston would have been Paul Pierce. He was he was a, a big time competitor, and you you loved seeing him day in day out. Really get after it in practice, and then get after it uh, in games. But uh, I would say a Paul as well because we would always play poker on every flight with the Celtics, mm. and he brought that same competitiveness uh, to the to the poker table on the plane as he did on the basketball court. But the only problem was for all of us other guys, we didn't have the salary that Paul had. So I mean, he was <laughs> he was pushing his chips in left and right, trying to bully people on the on the poker table. That's a that's a power dynamic that I would not want to be a, a part of. That's a, those are great stories. But uh, when you were a rookie in Atlanta, I would imagine that 
you know, you're coming in as a fresh-eyed rookie, and you you probably have to uh, earn the respect of some of the guys uh, on that team. You're, you're fresh in the NBA. Uh, was there anybody uh, on that team that first year that uh, really stood out to you and kind of took you under their wing? Unfortunately, no. Um, you know, and I think that's something that the best organizations um, have a locker room presence somebody who's guiding the younger guys, really kind of teaching them the way we had an older group in Atlanta, uh, some, some guys that were, were really skilled, but they were, many of them were, were kind of far enough along in their career that they already had their kind of set ways of doing things. And, and they didn't always necessarily uh, kind of branch out and reach out and, and mentor us younger guys. Uh, Sharif Abdul Rahim, as good a guy as he was, you know, um, we were friends, but he n- never took me under his wing. Same with Theo Ratliff. Uh, Jason Terry, we knew each other from being Washington guys, but he was still in that stage of his career where he was learning how to be a leader. Uh, we were teammates again then in Dallas a couple of years later, and his growth as a leader and a mentor was immense in a, in a, in a couple year stretch. Uh, and we just, we just didn't have that one veteran that really kind of took it upon themselves to include the younger guys, the rookies and really kind of show them the ropes. Um, it, it's one thing when I look at back at my career, I wish I would have had a, a veteran mentor a little bit earlier in my career. But at the same time, I was pretty mature uh, my rookie year as far as understanding, knowing how hard I needed to work, knowing the things that I had to take care of on a day in and day out basis. You know, today's NBA, some guys are coming in at, at 19, 20 years old, but you, you had gone through, uh, you know, what, four, five years of college, right? Including your redshirt year. I'd, I'd imagine that probably helps. No, without a doubt, you know. So that was uh, something where uh, it, it will. When you have a young guy coming into the NBA, you know, maybe as a as you mentioned, a nineteen year old, twenty year old, um, everything is new to these guys. You know, some of them might not even have a an understanding of how to get uh, a driver's license or rent an apartment. Where I had already had to do those things because I had been in college for five years. Um, and so that's kind of one of those things, again, where the better organizations, as I mentioned with Dallas, with food, uh, in the previous comment uh, question, the better organizations have a support system and a structure to help guys acclimate as quickly as possible. And not that Atlanta didn't have that in the front office at the time. It's just that I was a little bit older as a rookie and I didn't need quite so much help on that side either. Sure, sure. Great question. Thank you, uh, Liam Sanko, for sending that in. I should mention before we move on to the next question, uh, at the top, uh, you mentioned that Brian Scalabrini was a, a great teammate and player that you really enjoyed being around. And he was a guest on this podcast uh, not too long ago. So, And that was one of my favorite episodes, personally. He's, <laughs> he's a, a bundle of energy uh, and uh, I loved where that conversation went. So if you're interested, uh, go back in the feed. Uh, it's it's available and, and there for you and, and easy to find. So thank you, Liam, for that question. Moving on to the next question. This one comes from at YC Youth Basketball. Cinderella teams in the NCAA men's basketball landscape this year. Any any predictions uh, early on in this season? I know you've uh, you know taken a, a pretty hard look, particularly in the Northwest, uh, at not only Gonzaga but the Pac-12 as you're calling games for the Pac-12 Network. 
Yeah, this college basketball season is going to be so kind of topsy-turvy, hard to predict. Um, Obviously, you've got some teams at the top that are very talented. Gonzaga, Baylor, Iowa, Kansas, uh, Villanova. Those teams quickly come to mind. Uh, But, you know, I I think when when you look at the overall landscape, there's going to be games that are canceled. I was, for example, supposed to call a game tonight on CBS Sportsnet from my home on a home kit that they sent out. So we don't, I'm not even traveling to site for a lot of these games. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I got an email early this morning, 5.30 a.m. our time, game was canceled. Uh, and that's going to happen throughout the year. So I think every team is, is going to have to be able to understand and roll with uh, the, the punches to understand that, hey, there's going to be changes. We got to be ready to play whenever we can have a game either added to our schedule or rescheduled to get the game in. You look at Gonzaga, you know, they've added multiple games in a short amount of time after having five games uh, that were canceled due to a, a COVID pause. But I think if you're looking at surprise slash Cinderella teams, the two that I'm really keeping an eye on this year, and, and one of them might not be a Cinderella, but I, I think you can look to them to maybe be a surprise in, in the NCAA tournament would be Colorado in the Pac-12. And the reason I say that is tremendous coach in Tad Boyle, uh, and I also really like their backcourt, in particular point guard McKinley Wright. When you've got experience at that point guard position as he does um, in such a weird year, I think you're going to have an advantage. And then the other one would be Eastern Washington. Um, I think they were poised last year to win, win the Big Sky before COVID shut everything down. They basically have everybody back but one player, and they've looked really good so far early in the season. Maybe not necessarily with their win-loss record, but they've played Pac-12 teams tough early on. Tad Boyle, uh, you mentioned his name. Another guest uh, of uh, on this podcast, he came on in uh, late October uh, before the college basketball season kicked off and told some great stories about uh, you know, gamesmanship, coaching dynamics, and, you know, playing for Larry Brown at Kansas. Um, so that, that's another one, uh, listeners, if, if, um, you're interested in, in, uh, taking a look behind the scenes with, with Tad Boyle, uh, that episode's out there, but like that question, Dan, and I have to ask, uh, what was that home studio setup supposed to be like? I know you didn't get the experience of calling the game, but, uh, did you get to kind of do any test runs of what that would have been like? It's intense. Uh, there's a reason they've got uh, engineers <laughs> that set that thing up uh, every day courtside at the table, and it takes as long as it does because you gotta you gotta have an uh, an engineering background to be able to do that. It took me about an hour and a half to set it up, and I will say this: I'm gonna leave it set up for the next two and a half months, as opposed to take it down every day and then reset it up before I have to call a game. It's like it's like building a Lego and taking it apart and putting it back together. I can imagine. <laughs> Thank you, YC Youth Basketball, uh, for that question. Um, have a little bit of a Christmas theme question for you, Dan. Um, did you ever play, uh, whether in the NBA or in college, on Christmas Day? Do you have any Christmas Day or Christmas Eve uh, memories from your basketball playing days that stand out? Never played on Christmas Day. My Career at University of Washington, I believe it must have been, it was my freshman year. We played on Christmas Eve against New Mexico in Key Arena. And I think the game was at like 
2 o'clock, and it was a national TV game, um, which at the time was a big deal for University of Washington. Um, so it was a national TV game against New Mexico. They were really good at the time. They had Kenny Thomas, who went on to play 10, 12 years in the NBA. Uh, and there was a snowstorm in Seattle, and that doesn't happen all too often. And you can only imagine the crowd wasn't what uh, people were anticipating because of the traffic with the snow. People just said, forget it. And I ended up, uh, to get home to family, I ended up taking the train home that night. Uh, so I'll never forget that one. And then never played Christmas Day in the NBA, uh, but unfortunately I had to fly out many times on Christmas night and leave the family. And that was always difficult because, you know, Christmas is a special time. You, you want to be around for family and, and especially once you have kids, uh, you want to be there all day long if possible. No question. Yeah. How, how did that uh, holiday experience, uh, did that differ at all between the NBA and college? Because, you know, I, I remember as a reporter, I was, I was in college covering the Zags for the Gonzaga Bulletin. Uh, I was sent to the uh, NIT shootout over Thanksgiving in New York. And uh, my fellow reporter, Riley Pishon, and I were walking around New York the night before. It's the first game. Um, and we're kind of exploring and, and kind of getting our feel for it. And we're in Times Square and we ran into the entire Gonzaga team. And they're all in their Gonzaga sweats and everything. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, right, this is this is their life. We're, we're the same age and most people get to go home for the holidays. But um, you know, that's that's not something that uh, college basketball players uh, have the luxury of. Um, did that differ at all uh, in the NBA versus college? Um, well, in in college, you basically you're not going home for, for Thanksgiving. For Christmas, you typically get about two, maybe three days if you're lucky. Um, <clears throat> you know, sometimes I would have to fly back uh, to Spokane on Christmas night. Uh, depending on how the schedule breaks out. But in the NBA, um, in, you know, I, I remember in particular, you know, my two years that I was with other teams, not living in the Portland-Vancouver area, which is where I grew up. Uh, I remember two years I was able to get back home for like 36-hour stretches. So <clears throat> my my wife would have already been home and then I would fly home and, and literally be home for 36 hours uh, or as long as possible before having to go back out and meet the team. I remember one year in particular, I was with New Orleans and I flew home, home for about 36 hours. We did a tree, we did church, we did dinner, we did presents, we did everything uh, in a span of 36 hours. And then I had to fly out on Christmas afternoon and I had to go back to Cleveland to meet the team. And oddly enough, New Orleans, there was a snowstorm that came in. Uh, and that almost never happens. It's very rare, obviously, down south in New Orleans to get snow. Well, the team didn't even get out of New Orleans that night. But because I was flying in from a different uh, part of the country, I was able to make it in before anybody else. I believe they flew in the next morning, um, you know, to be able to make it on the day of the game. But, um, yeah, very rarely do you in the NBA – get to travel home to what would be perceived as your, you know, summer home, as opposed to, you know, where you're, you're playing currently during the season. Picking and backing off of that a little bit, uh, you played in a, a few cities, uh, you know, between college and the NBA, but particularly in the NBA, did you have a favorite city that you lived in? Yeah, I've, I got a couple of them, to be honest with you. I mean, I grew up a Blazer fan in the Portland area um, and, and people that have, have 
known my story a little bit or heard me talk about it, that was a dream come true. But if you take Portland out and just don't include that, you know, I, I think my favorite city would have been LA. And I, I say that kind of, uh, and still to this day, kind of in surprisement because I did not want to go to LA as a young player to, to be a part of the Lakers or the Clippers. I just, there was something about LA. Hey, I just don't want to live there. I like visiting, whatever. But once I was on the Clippers and we were living there, it was great. And you now, then I started to re- realize, well, no wonder there's 10 million people or whatever lives in LA, Southern California area. It's because the weather's perfect every single day. I mean, we lived in a, in a place where it was five minutes. We rented a house where it was five minutes to the practice facility, uh, where we practiced at the time, 10 minutes to the airport, 30 minutes uh, to the Staples Center, five minutes to the beach, 40 minutes to Disneyland. I mean, what more could you ask for? Uh, it was great. Now, those uh, are perhaps your favorite cities. Uh, would would your wife or your kids? Although I'm sure if you know if you had kids at the time during your career, they were probably really young. But would your wife maybe have a, a different answer? Is there an experience that that your family uh, liked of living in a different city? I'm pretty sure my wife would say L.A. as well. And we we had two kids at the time, um, and they were young, but you know the fact is we had Disneyland passes and Ooh. I would come home from practice, right? You get home from practice, uh, one o'clock. Well, what do we want to do today? Well, it's a nice day. Well, if we get on the road now, we won't be stuck in traffic. We could be down, uh, to Disneyland and we could be on splash mountain in, in 45 minutes. You want to go? Sure. Let's go. <laughs> so, I mean, our kids, our two oldest kids, they've, they've been to Disneyland more times than, than, uh, you could remember um, be, just because it was easy. We had a, a season pass and, and there were times we'd just go for, you know, two and a half hours, just go walk around just to be outside in, in the fresh air or as fresh of air as you could get in Southern California and, and just enjoy the sun. That's awesome. What, what, what a perk, uh, not only for you, but, but for your family, for your kids. Um, but what was, what was playing in your hometown like? I know you had a few stints in Portland. Uh, you, you've talked about that a lot over the years. Um, was it similar to college where on a night-to-night basis you have people you know in the stands, you might see a familiar face uh, here and there, and you have people hammering you for tickets? Yeah, well, in college, you you really only get, if I remember correctly, you'd get three tickets in your allotment. And those three tickets, you'd have to have the name prepared, you know, a day before the game. And it would have to be basically checked off or approved by the athletic department so that you're not, you know, selling your tickets to anybody that you shouldn't be to, to earn an additional perk as a student athlete. Um, and it was very hard to get, find ways to get extra tickets for friends or even family in college um, because there's so many hoops you'd have to jump through. So it, it really wasn't a big problem in college. In the NBA, uh, I believe you get three or four as part of your contract. But then if you want more quote unquote season tickets, you'd have to buy them. So, um, you know, the, the second go around with the Blazers where I was there an entire year, you know, I had my typical allotment and then I bought a group of season tickets that I'd, you know, be able to, to give to uh, whether it's friends or family or, or a charity event that I would have donated games to at different times of the year. 
But because I was from there, uh, and I w- I got to know people in the in the front office and the t- ticket office as well, there'd be times where you know, in the morning of the shoot around, they'd be like, "Hey, we got fifteen extra tickets. You want them?" Yeah, sure. So you know, I would uh, typically you know reach out to a couple friends, see if they want the tickets, um, and then tell my wife, "Hey, we've got." eight extra tickets or whatever it might be that night. Um, reach out to whoever. I just need to know by like, say, three o'clock who I need to have the tickets names under at will call so that I wasn't kind of dealing with it in the locker room if I couldn't help it. But it, it was fun. I mean, there were there that was a challenge at times because... People would be like, well, I didn't get as good of tickets as so-and-so. Well, <laughs> maybe I got an answer from you after the other person told me they would love to go to the game. I can't help it too much. Um, but at the same time, you know, those are small frustrations that come with the the joy of being able to play at that level uh, in your hometown where people, both family and friends, can, can be a part of your career. Hey, man, if... If it's me and an NBA player is giving me tickets, like beg- beggars can't be choosers. Sure. <laughs> uh, okay. The, the next one, you mentioned uh, one of your favorite teammates that you played with, somebody that stood out, uh, Dirk Nowitzki. Um, just with his approach to the game, you've talked about it in the past. Um, you know, doing a little bit of research for this mailbag, I stumbled on uh, a note in a story in The Athletic. It's written by Tim Cato, uh, and I'll link it in the show notes. But uh, made a passing reference at a time where you shut a door, a car door, I believe, on Dirk's hand. Um, it did not elaborate much at all, except for to say that Nowitzki's fingers survived unharmed, but, quote, um, Don Nelson joked about it on the elevator the next day with Dickow. Walk me through that experience. Is there, is, is there more to that story than uh, you, you, you know, shut a car door on a, a future Hall of Famer's hands? <laughs> Yeah, that was uh, that was an interesting one. I'd, lo- I'd love to read the story. Uh, if you don't, if you get a chance, send me the link. Or, as you mentioned, it'll be in the in the notes uh, on this post. But so I'm with Dallas. We're early in the season. We're on a road trip to Miami, and um, a bunch of us are going to go out uh, to South Beach and get dinner. So myself, Dirk Nowitzki, Jerry Stackhouse, Jason Terry. Uh, and then two or three of the uh, the trainers, um, there the bellhop at the hotel gets uh, two or three taxis to kind of just be set up to take us to the restaurant. Uh, first car, first taxi's full. They go. Next one um, pulls up, goes. The third one. There's like four of us that are left, and and Dirk and I were standing there, and I was like, Hey, you want to sit in the front or you want to sit in the back? He goes, No, you go in the front. Uh, it's a van, taxi, uh, I'll go in the back. It's like, okay, uh, all right, well, all right. So I don't think anything of it. I just sit in the front seat and I close the door. All of a sudden, I hear a tap on my arm. Dan, open the door. I'm like, what? And so I'm looking over my left shoulder, right? I can't see the door. Looking over my left shoulder, I'm like, what? He's like, bro, open the door. And I'm like, I'm just looking at him over my left shoulder like, what? Why? He's like, bro, Dan, open the door. And I finally, I say, Dirk, okay. And I turn and I look to the door 
and his fingers are inside the door. I closed his hand <laughs> inside the door as he was starting to to get into uh, the back seat of the van, and and like literally, I I think I froze at the time, thinking, "Oh no, this can't be good." Because I mean, you gotta close a door pretty dang hard, and then the fact that the door closed and his fingers were kind of on that inside frame of the door, I was oh man, I was I was concerned. Luckily, one of our trainers was in the taxi with us, so uh, we're on the way to we're on the way to the dinner. And the whole time, uh, the the trainers, you know, evaluate him, looking at his fingers. We get to dinner. Uh, I, I think the the waiter at the hotel or at the restaurant brought him ice, um, and the trainer kept messing with his hand, making sure it was okay. And I mean, I'm con- I'm like concerned, like shoot, what the heck? I, what if I broke Dirk's fingers? So fast forward to the next morning and the time for shoot around, the bus to shoot around is say 9.30, whatever. So I'm getting on the elevator at like 9.15 to go down uh, to the lobby and get on the bus and the elevator door opens up and there's like six or seven uh, Mavericks personnel, maybe one or two players, front office guy, Donnie Nelson, Don Nelson, the head coach at the time, and another uh, assistant coach. And Don Nelson kind of gives me this little smirk. And I just kind of nodded like uh, good morning. And, and Don acted like he didn't see me, at least where other people could kind of recognize that. So I quickly kind of shuffle into the corner of the of the elevator and he looks over at one of the other uh, assistant coaches and he, and he says, man, that's a shame. We had to cut Dick out this morning. He's going to go break Dirk's <laughs> fingers. We got to get rid of him." And I'm sitting there, I'm standing in the corner of the elevator, just frozen. Like, and I know because he gave me that look when I was first stepping on in the elevator, that it was a joke, but he's playing it up. And I'm like, I felt like I felt two inches tall. Uh, so ended up later that night, we play Miami on national TV on, uh, on TNT. I think Dirk goes for 41. And, uh, I think <laughs> I did play that game. I think I had four minutes. I might've scored one point. I might've been like one for two from the free throw line. Um, but lo and behold, do- did not break Dirk's fingers, but he went on, went for like 41 and uh, that was definitely an interesting uh, kind of episode in my playing career. Oh, man, I'm sure that was nerve wracking at the time, but a fun one to look back on. Uh, I My two follow up questions there are, why is the seven footer get back seat, uh, not the extra leg room? And yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, you know, that goes to the kind of guy that Dirk is. He's just he, Dirk is all about the team. You know, very rarely do you find superstars like him and there's plenty, you know, Tim Duncan comes to mind really quickly as well, but guys that, you know, superstars, to your team that carry their, their themselves in the manner that they're just one of the guys. And that's how Dirk was. Last question, Dan, this has been a, a fun mailbag episode, but the last question I've got for you is how much do you hoop now? I know you still got it. How much do you hoop now? And uh, since you uh, your playing days in the NBA, your professional playing days ended, have you found any athletic interests outside of basketball in your post career, like cycling or running or anything like that? Yeah, good, good question. Um, I, I do play occasionally, not not as as much as maybe you know some people would think that a, a former professional basketball player would play. 
Um, and one of the reasons is, is I, I miss it tremendously. But if you're not playing at a highly competitive level or you're not playing for something, uh, it can be difficult. Uh, John Stockton has a, has a kind of a, a open gym up here in Spokane at, at his uh, warehouse athletic facility that's kind of a, a, a kind of a private open gym run, obviously with COVID, it's not going on these days. But um, I would go there and play occasionally. Um, good group of guys, good mix of some high school and then former college players, former um, pros overseas, and then, and then some older guys from the area that really know how to play. Uh, that's about the extent of my playing. Um, I, I do it now just because, you know, I'll bring my boys down to the gym with me so they can get extra shots and just be around the game and, you know, have a chance to, to, to see what it's like to play with um, other high-level players. Um, but I don't play too much. Uh, then you look at, is there an athletic pursuit that I kind of, you know, have gravitated towards? You know, golf would be the closest thing that I get competitive about. Um, I, I wish I was a little bit better. And I say this knowing that I'm a pretty good golfer, but it's that sport that no matter, you could go out and shoot 77, but in the back of your mind is like, man, I could have shot 74 today. Um, and so there's that, that sport kind of brings out the competitiveness in me and that drive and that wanting to be better at something. Uh, and I get a chance to, to play with my boys, uh, a decent amount in the summer. Um, but you know, cycling doesn't do it for me. Um, running doesn't do it for me. None, none of those things. I know for a fact, uh, interesting story, Richie Fromm, who also, uh, played in the NBA, went to Gonzaga. He was a really good friend of mine growing up and, a similar question I asked him was what you just asked me. Do you play anymore? Richie hasn't touched a basketball since he was done playing. Wow. And I, I, when he answered, when he told me that, I couldn't believe it. Because I, I asked him, I said, one day, hey, I'd love to get you in the gym and, and work with my son um, on shooting because he was such a good shooter. He's like, I, haven't t- I couldn't tell you the last time I touched the ball. It was probably my last game. And that, that kind of blew me away. And he's found a release in competitive bicycle riding like you're talking like tour de france type stuff obviously not at that level just kind of semi-pro stuff uh on the in the western united states but the week i moved to spokane reconnecting with some different people hey live here now you know what's what what's going on richie goes oh awesome did you bring your bike and i'm like bring my bike. What are you talking about? I have a bike, but that's not a normal question. You ask, you know, someone in their mid thirties at the time, he goes, well, let's go for a bike ride. I'm like, I asked him again. He's like, we can just go on a little quick 45 mile ride. No big deal. (laughs) I said, Richie, I'm not going on a 40 mile bike ride. That's not happening. So, you know, that's kind of a quick story where bicycling or, or jogging or whatever, they they just can't, it, it doesn't fill that competitive void for me. It takes a certain type of person to really, really dive into those uh, those two sports. Uh, it's funny you mentioned mention Richie Fromm. Uh, he'd be a great guest on this podcast at some point. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's a, a few former Gonzaga players that at some point I do want to get them on the podcast. I know Coach Few was uh, was on the pod. Uh, I want to say in in September, October, I had some good things to say about this year's team before they had the ability to play in games. And so there was some good good insight with that interview for sure. No question, Dan. Well, that wraps up uh, all the questions in uh, this 
Christmas mailbag episode. Um, this was fun. Absolutely. No, I'm, uh, I I enjoyed it. There were some good questions. Uh, a couple caught me off guard, a couple that I were, was anticipating based on, you know, questions that I've been asked many different times in, in similar settings. But uh, yeah, if you haven't subscribed or left a review for our ISO podcast, please do. Um, you know, we, we enjoy bringing you uh, unique conversations in the world of sports and, and I'm glad to be a part of SB Live and everything we're doing, uh, not only with this podcast, but the other ones that we have on our different platforms. This is coming out on Christmas Day, but we're not done for, uh, for the year 2020. Uh, we still got, uh, as we record this today on, on Wednesday, the 23rd, uh, Brian Oringer, uh, former NBA advanced scout, uh, that episode is out now. And then next week, some great episodes coming. Uh, Kevin Calabro and Greg Lansing are on there and uh, really looking forward to uh, finishing this year out strong. Absolutely. Merry Christmas to everybody out there that's listening. Andy, thank you for all your help in, in producing these episodes over the last few months and uh, appreciate you moderating today's mailbag. Always. Thanks for your time, Dan. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.